David and I, we kind of got this little game going over here. You can see David sitting up here on the front row. Uh, every time I'm over to the Ashlock's house or David's here at the church, uh, we've got this little cat and mouse game we play, and, and I, I'll come up behind him and I'll just flick his ear. Now, he's caught me many times doing that, haven't you, David? And he said, I got you, I got you, I caught you. And uh, he thought I was going to be so dignified as I walked up here, we, that was off limits. But it, it wasn't, so I got him this morning as I was walking up here. And so, uh, one, zero. Okay. Hey, listen, uh, we're continuing our study, hey, in the, in the book of Exodus, right? And over the last couple of weeks, you know, uh, and as you work your way through the scripture, man, you just kind of deal with some, uh, some uh, problematic, difficult type scriptures. And uh, uh, today is no different. We're going to go from uh, uh, capital punishment to uh, someone's bull goring somebody and how we are to deal with that, right? And you're like, now what does that have to do with us today? Because uh, there's obviously some things we're going to be covering today that uh, the, the very practice would not be applicable, but the principle is applicable. And uh, we're going to cover a few things this morning. And as we cover them, I'm going to just park momentarily and we're going to uh, make a brief application for you and I so we don't just kind of get lost in rules and regulations. There's some things that, that uh, we can glean from this that you and I, if we apply it to our lives and we understand this, uh, it'll benefit us and benefit the body of Christ. It'll benefit our lives and so forth and so on. And um, as you guys know, we, we covered in the first uh, 11 verses uh, of chapter 21, we covered the, uh, the least and the most vulnerable, right, through the first 11 verses. And we covered how God had established a network to protect those that were the least and the most vulnerable. And a lot of times when we read that scripture, we don't see it as, a, as, as God's protection. But as you guys can very well note, over the last few weeks, we've discussed it thoroughly. And it's quite obvious once you really look at it that God's provision and protection is actually wrapped uh, for in those first 11 verses into the lives of his people. Now, understand a couple of things here. Right off the bat, understand... This is a nation that's just being born. They've come out of basically uh, co-mingling and slavery for over 400 years. There's a lot of things that were established in their hearts and their minds. And God is establishing now, moving forward, what would be expected of them. Not just expected of them, but what would not even be tolerated any longer. Now this stuff may have flown over in Egypt. But we're not going to be doing that kind of stuff, not in my family is what he was saying, basically. And so I'm establishing some things here uh, for the protection of all people. And uh, there's some difficult stuff in here, but uh, we're going to cover it and, uh, and we're going to make some application and, and we're going to find ourselves in it, right? That's what we, we intend to do. So what I'm going to do this morning, instead of reading through all these verses, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to really soften, soften your, your hearts and open your ears this morning. That you may hear something that the Spirit is saying and it's not so much what I'm saying to you. Are we good? We're good for that? Let's, let's pray this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, 
We want you to speak to us. No agendas. We just want your word. We want to understand it, and so understanding it, we understand you better. We see you clear. And, and Lord, you're like a mirror. When we see who you are, and we look into that, and it reflects who we are, man, you're talking about life changing, the contrast. God, I want to be more like you. I want to see myself shaped like you. I want to live my life out in a manner that people see you. And Father, it starts with your word. We can't know you if we don't know your word, and so that's where we start. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd bless the reading, the sharing, the preaching of your word this morning. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, let's water this thing down. Now, if I do a, a triple dose, you're in trouble. So uh, we just, uh, a, a two, a two uh, dose right there that will get us through this morning or so, I hope. Exodus chapter 21, and we're going to be reading verses 12 through 17, and we're just going to kind of work our way through this, okay? All right? It says, anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. Good morning, Driven Church. Man, I came to be inspired and encouraged. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I would designate. These were cities of refuge. And I'll explain a little bit of that. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Now, when we first open up this portion of Scripture and you start reading this, the very first thing that will go through your mind is how vindictive is God? How, how, how vengeful is God? And a lot of times when we see things on the surface, that's our perspective initially. But the reality is that all of this is being set up as a deterrent to protect the innocent and the vulnerable, the victim in this dynamic. And he is basically establishing a principle of deterrence. And when we understand that once uh, deterrence is actually activated, the deterring element is actually enforced, it has a much greater effect on a society than a deterrent that is lazy. You know what I'm talking about? I remember, and I shared this with some of you guys before, I remember, I remember one of the first deterring moments of my life where a deterrent was kind of fleshed out. I remember I was with my brother Terry, my brother Timmy. They were much older than me, and we were moving uh, my family into, into that little housing project. And I remember uh, Timmy and Terry uh, being there, and, 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 and I was a smart aleck, you know, 9, 10, 11-year-old kid. Always had something to say. You parents know, if you've got a 10, 11, 9, you, you know where, I, where I'm at, right? Nine, 10, 11 year old kids are the smartest kids. They're so smart. I mean, they always got some, you know, intelligent thing to, to share with you parents who need them and their intellect. And so I was that kid, right? 
And, and, and I remember we were standing there and, and we were moving some stuff. and It wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And my mom said something to me. And I shot back with a comment that I shouldn't have shot back with. And I said something to my mom in a derogatory manner. And immediately when I said that, and, and I've shared this with you, my brother Terry kicks me right in the head. I told this to you, right? He literally kicked me right straight in the head. Now, did my mom rescue me? No. No, no. But what I realized right there at that moment, there was a principle of deterrence that had been established, and I realized that there was a, there was a direct correlation between my words and Terry's foot. And if I didn't want Terry's foot on the side of my head, I understood that I needed to weigh my words carefully in how I addressed his mother as well as my mother. And so there's a deterring element whenever uh, that, that does play out in these situations. Whenever it is enforced, it proves beneficial. And God is establishing, let me say this, a judiciary reign. Remember these rules and these laws and this guidance is being given to judges who are overseeing the issues of the nation. But these are God's guidelines. You with me? All right. And this is what it says. And we go back. Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, meaning, meaning it rains on the just and the unjust. God not intervening every moment in everyone's life, in everyone's decision making. But if someone chooses to do this and they strike this blow, and it does happen, or if it, they don't intend to do it, it says they are to flee to a place I will designate. Now, what you have to understand right now is this isn't this personal vendetta amongst the population. Meaning if someone commits a crime, Joe just goes up and says, okay, man, you did this, I'm killing you. This is a judiciary uh, uh, frame and network that's being established. As a matter of fact, when these crimes are being committed, this individual has fleed to a, a city of, uh, of, of protection and refuge. As a matter of fact, we get a better insight of how this judiciary care was being carried out, okay? And we find that in Numbers chapter 35, verse 30, and that's, this is what it says. So this isn't just, just uh, the Wild West. It says, any, this is what it says in Numbers 35, 30. Anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer, listen, only on the testimony of witnesses, but no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Do you see that? So this wasn't a reckless uh, killing and murdering of people and retribution and revenge. There was a process to this. There was a network, there was a system that God was establishing to administer justice and to protect those that were vulnerable. And so the scripture goes on. And it says this in verse 14. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Now the word uh, schemes is orma in the Hebrew. You know what it means? It means craftiness. It implies almost a hand stitching. Meaning if someone premeditates, works out, schemes, collects their thoughts to inflict a death blow upon a person and they carry that out, that person, that person who is guilty of deliberate murder, their life is to be conceded. 
Now with this law being known to all the people, the choice then rests in the hands of the perpetrator. Do I want to live or not live? If I choose not to live, or if I choose to take this person's life, I am conceding my right to live. It is that individual's choice, not God's choice on whether they live or not. It was their choice. Are you with me on that? You understand? And the scripture says this. Now this is pretty tight. That person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. There's two implications here. Right? This is heavy stuff. I want you to get this. They are to be taken from my altar. Implying that they're at the altar, right? At the altar what? Maybe seeking mercy. Maybe seeking forgiveness. What is the scripture? What, 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 is, what is playing out right here? It is this. That there's a level of culpability in our lives and in their lives that if they were to commit such a crime as that and they were repentant and, and, and pled for mercy, they were still culpable. You and I, we can make decisions in our lives that harm us, that harm other people. Can we receive forgiveness for that? Absolutely we can receive forgiveness for that. Does that mean we will escape the culpability of the decisions that we have made? Absolutely not. God can forgive us, but it doesn't mean we escape the law that's in play that God has established. Not only is that being addressed, God is also establishing that there are no favored, favorites. There is no favoritism in this. If a priest, if God's person, whoever that might be, under this new uh, arrangement, if they take someone's life, if they're serving at the altar, they're just as guilty as anyone else. God is basically saying, the law that I'm establishing right here in this moment applies to everyone. There's no big eyes and little U's in God's family. Now let's look at this. He says, anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Attacks nakal, which is the Hebrew word. It, it, it means to deliver or attempt to deliver a death blow. It's the same word that is used many times as smite, when they smite someone or killed someone. The implication is that what has taken place in this situation in the sight of God is so egregious that even if the parents do not die, this child deserves to die because they have attempted to murder their mother or their father. Now, we read through that and we don't think a whole lot of that, but there's another principle that's playing out here, and that's the equal value of life between the father and the mother. In ancient societies, the women were considered less than. In God's eyes, he was equating the, uh, uh, the two as being equal. If you take the father's life, or if you uh, uh, attempt to take the father's life, or if you attempt to take the mother's life, either or, your life will be taken. Now, what do you think that's saying to that son who's somewhat rebellious in this moment? Thinking, Man, I'm about to strike out against mom and dad. They're not, they, they didn't give me my new iPhone 14. I'm going to take them. You know, that's a huge deterrent, isn't it? Slavery. Let's deal with slavery real quick again. In case we do not understand. 
God's position on this. And then he says, anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. God, man, God's laying this thing down. God's saying this stuff ain't going to be acceptable in, amongst my people. But it was acceptable in ancient times to kidnap an individual, to sell them into slavery for profit. Isn't that what happened in Genesis, right, with Joseph? Did his brothers do that? It was a common thing. Hey, let's just sell this cat. Let's, we'll, we'll make a little, bit of, a little bit of money. We'll just sell him, and we'll just get rid of him. And God is saying right here in this situation, this is different than indentured servanthood or what we would think of as slavery. This is an individual taking someone against their will, kidnapping them, and either keeping them, and God says, if you keep them, you're dying. If you sell them, you're dying. No one is treating anyone in our society like this. That's pretty stout. That's pretty strong. And then he says this. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Now curses is the opposite of honor, which we find in the fifth commandment, right? The word honor means to esteem or to, or to, or to consider heavy honor. When it, when it says curses, it's literally just the opposite, to take them lightly or discard them. To not, and see, this isn't really an affront against your mother and your father that God is saying this is worthy of death. You know who this is an affront against? Against God. Because God has said, listen to this, God has said, honor your mother and father. This is the very first commandment that God gives to his children regarding their relationship with people. The very first one. And God is saying that if you'll take my first commandment in how we address one another in our society and you're to discard that and throw that away, it's an affront against me. This is a crime against me. And that is worthy of death. Now this is pretty stuff. You say, well, Trent, what's the application here? What's the application for you and what's, what's the application for me? Let, let's make a little, uh, just a, a, a brief, a brief uh, application, and we'll move on. We as followers of Jesus, what we have just addressed is this premeditated willingness to inflict harm upon other people. Now you and I as followers of Jesus, we have got to understand that we cannot set out and intentionally inflict harm upon people. I don't care what kind of harm we're talking about. Now, I don't, I don't think we got murderers in here. I don't think we got people that's beating on people in here. But I think the scripture paints another picture of, of you and I inflicting harm on one another. And it's through the things that we say, the actions that we take, our, our positions, our, 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 our uh, demeanor, the way we receive or reject people. And at no point, at no point as followers of Christ, do we have the liberty or the freedom to premeditate, to, to, to uh, craft, as the scripture talks about scheming, in a craftiness manner, create an environment where we can inflict pain upon one another. If you're in the game 
of inflicting pain on people, making people suffer, willing to hurt people without regard. You can't be doing that and following Jesus. The two don't jive, man. It's all in water. It doesn't work. And we're culpable. We are culpable when we inflict pain on the lives of other people, harm on the lives of other people. That should not be the case in the body of Christ for any of us. To victimize someone. To withhold from someone in a premeditated fashion. Listen, man, I'm telling you, this is a difficult thing. When someone calculates in such a manner to withhold from you what you know, what they know you need, and they do it to inflict pain upon you, this is unacceptable in the kingdom of God. To manipulate circumstances and situations. Let me say this to husbands, and let me say this to wives. When you're conducting yourself within your, the framework of your life and your home, and he hadn't done what you thought he should have done, and she hadn't done what you thought she should have done, and all of a sudden you start to hold back. Now we're getting real, right? You start to hold back a little. The affection is held back. The consideration is held back. And it's all being held back because there's a part of you that wants to inflict a little pain, a little suffering. I feel a little bit of suffering. I want you to feel a little bit of this. And we, as followers of Jesus, understanding he's given his life for them, we have no right to inflict pain on the sons and the daughters of Jesus. It is a ridiculous position to take to think we can do such a thing and not pay a price for doing it. This is just a reality. This is a reality. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32, this is what the scripture says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. Remember I was talking about that withholding? You know someone's got a need and you can deliver. You can help them. You can encourage them. And instead, the leverage you feel, you leverage it against them. It says, according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ Jesus God forgave you. Hmm. I've said this so many times, and, and I know this to be true. I have seen, especially in, in, in the church, and you guys have too, man. We're, we're all about the same place. <clears throat> You've seen people who will say things like this. Hey, man, the truth hurts. Right? You've, you've heard that, ain't you? And the truth hurts, man. And in so doing, they justify weaponizing it. You know what? They delight in telling you the truth. Oh, man, I'm going I'm to I'm set Derek straight. Derek, what I'm about to tell you is true. Here it is. Boom! I dropped the bomb on him. Right? Now, what I've said is true, but it's not. The spirit of the truth isn't accompanying the oral, the, the speaking of the truth. So truth without love isn't truth, and love without truth isn't love. 
You see what I'm saying? And we weaponize it. We weaponize And listen, I don't know that there's anything more painful to the heart of God when we take his word that he's given us out of his love for us and we weaponize it for our own agendas and our own ideas and we deliver blow after blow after blow, death blows to people. This ought not be the case. We are culpable for deliberate harm we do to people. And just like his people, there was a heavy price to pay. There will be a heavy price for us to pay. I'm telling you. The scripture goes on. And he starts to deal with another, another dynamic here. And it's, the, it's, it's harm without intent. And let's listen to this. If people quarrel and one person hits another, man, you've seen this, right? It started off as something really small, and before you knew it, man, it broke out into a UFC full-blown Donnybrook, right? That's, what he's, that's the picture he's painting here. If people quarrel, they start out quarreling, and one person hits another with a stone. And I know some of you are thinking, well, what if it's a stick? What, what if it's my golf club? <laughs> with a stone or with their fist, and the victim does not die, but is confined to bed, the one who struck the blow will not be held liable if the other can get up and walk around outside with a staff. However, however, the guilty party must pay the injured person for any loss of time and see that the victim is completely Healed. When it, when it says that people quarrel, one person hits another. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been? You ever been in that moment? You know, I've told you all the story, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go all into it. You know about me getting banned from church league basketball when I was a kid. <laughs> hey, hey, it is what it is. Right there, we were. We were in a church. You know, I'm going to tell it. <laughs> Guilty. And. We're in a church league basketball game. Uh, newly saved. Let me go ahead and preface that. I still had a lot of issues, Jeremiah, to work out in my heart and my mind. I was just an infant in Christ, not expected uh, to, to uh, respond like Charles Spurgeon. I'm just, you know, I'm just a housing project kid dipped in the blood, right? That's all I was. And here we were, Kevin, and Kevin's laughing. He's probably been here and done this. I've heard your stories, so don't say a word. And, and here we were, and, uh, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just playing a little bit of basketball. I done broke a couple people down. Probably not, but I was playing. And we had a young guy on our team. His name is Derek Slayton. Kellen. And, and he was a young kid. He's about 14 years old. Donald, he's a young boy. I'm 17, 18, something like that. And uh, this guy... In the middle, you know how it gets heated out there. You get a, man, competition kind of just raised, just 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 lift, brings the devil to the surface in you. You know what I mean? You <laughs> right, right. But uh, uh, we were a little competitive, a little heated, and uh, the gentleman says something to this young man who is just a kid, and I, being a kid myself, just a few years older, say something back to the guy. Hey, hey, brother. You need to stand down. Now, what he didn't know was 
I've done been raised in a family of 13 hoolums, you know, 13 family, you know, brothers, sisters in prison, crazy. I got a crazy brother back here in the corner right now. He knows what I'm talking about. This guy had no idea. That's what I was raised in. And so I said, hey, hey, stand down, brother. And, and he said a few choice words, but the spirit of Christ rose up in me, and I just turned my ear to him, you know. It wasn't real yet. I just didn't pay attention to him. But um, so I, I turned my back to him, and he said something else. So I just turned. I said, man, whatever. And, and Donald, he grabbed me on my shoulder. And it was on my left shoulder. I remember that. I was turned away like this. Now, in the back of my mind, you know, I'm, I'm suffering from PTSD. I done been kicked in the head by my brother. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. He's going to kick me in the head. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. So he grabs me on his shoulder, Kevin. He, 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 he pulls on me. Kellen knows this story, don't you, Kellen? And uh, it, it, it's, it's to my shame I tell it. I turn around, I punch him right in the face. I turn around, in the name of Jesus. No, no, I didn't say it. I just turn around. I just, because everything just went. It just went, man. And then all of a sudden, another guy grabbed me, and I turn around, and I punch. And all of a sudden, I'm being choked by the referee. He's got me. I done punched two guys. And it, it's a complete disaster. The old preacher comes up to me after the basketball game. I've been expelled from the league. I've been kicked out. The housing project convert kids sitting over there trying to look in the door, see who wins the game. The old preacher comes up there, and I say, preacher, man, Brother Hazelwood. I said, I'm sorry I embarrassed you. And I brought shame on our church. And he looked at me and he said, boys will be boys. Don't worry about it. You know, I thought, you know, that was a whole lot of grace. But we've all been in those situations where something small has led up to us uh, doing something that we wished we hadn't done. The problem was I was then banned from church league activities, sports and whatnot for about two years. Just because the old preacher looks at me and said, boys will be boys, doesn't mean that I escaped the, 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 the culpability of what I had done. I still had to deal with it. And then an agent of grace a couple years later, that being my future father-in-law, actually got me reinstated. But I had to pay a price. And so every one of us had probably been in those places as we mature, I hope we kind of grow out of that as we grow into him, that we don't, we're not responding like that. But every one of us feel that from time to time rise up in us, not the need to want to strike someone, but the need to defend ourselves, right? And so there, there's an element of the, that we can kind of see ourselves in this, right? The, the man starts out quarreling, and then all of a sudden he strikes the person. But there's the price to pay. He has to financially cover the man, doesn't he? He has to financially cover the man. And then this is, this is the next verse here. Exodus 21, verse 20, 21 says this. Now, this is a tough one. Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod. Now, we were just talking last week about the good masters, right? And the coverage and the protection. Now, understand the level of violation that's taking place here. God has established these people as protectors, right? As protectors of the least and vulnerable. So you're going to read this, you're going to think, yeah, man, this is pretty stout. Because they have violated the trust of God in caring for his children. This is Hebrew on Hebrew crime. Unacceptable. And this is what the scripture says. The scripture says, anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished. When it says punished, it's implying the death penalty. 
Because later on it talks about if you take a man's life, it doesn't matter whether he's a slave or, 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 or a master. If you take a man's life, tooth for eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the way it basically it comes down to. When it says he is to be punished, it is literally his life basically to be taken. This was unheard of in ancient cultures. That a master's life could be subject to being taken for beating a servant or killing a servant. God says in this moment, he equates once again on his scale of importance that the lowest man is as important as the highest man. And we as followers of Jesus should cling to that understanding that he's got our back no matter where we find ourselves on the totem pole. Equally defended, equally protected. Must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. Now check this out. This is the part that throws people. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since the slave is their property. You're like, yeah, man, yeah. How do I work? What is, what's that about? Well, there's a couple of things you need to understand right here. We're going to give a little context in the next verse I'm about to read. When it says property, Hebrew, it literally means resources or money. He's literally saying to the slave master, not, not saying do this. He's saying understand the value of the slave or the servant. He is your asset, your resource. And he's in, if he's in some form of indentured servanthood and he owes you, and he owes you, to wound him is a ridiculous, he is to your benefit. Now, one application. Why would we wound people that God has established and put in our lives to our benefit? It's a ridiculous notion, isn't it? But he says right here in this scripture, he says right here, let, let me read this. If he recovers after a day or two since the slave is their property, you're, you're looking at this and you're like, man, this is tough stuff, man. What? Let me, let me read this scripture to you and kind of give you an idea of what God perceives as overbearing discipline. Because one of the things that we don't understand when we read this scripture is why he might do this. A servant who has stolen, a servant who has violated, a servant whatever. There might be some discipline. The term rod is, being, is used in other places when it talks about parents disciplining their children and whatnot. So discipline is being allowed, but it's being restricted. And this is what God says. God says if you go this far, the slave, the servant is to go free. So we're going to kind of measure to what degree they can discipline, Right? It says in verse 26 and 27, an owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye, if you hit them in the eye and you destroy their eye, they're to go free. You're like, well, that's a heavy price to pay. But then what does it say? If an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. God is literally saying to them, when you discipline those that I put you over, if you even take it to the extent that they lose a tooth, if you wound them to the extent that a tooth is compromised, they are to go free, completely free, and it's your loss. Do you get that? Do you get where he's saying he's putting some restrictions? He said, no, 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 no. Not even a tooth is to be wasted on that individual. I'm protecting them down to the tooth. 
And then it says this. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take a life or life. This is the first time in Scripture that we find where God equates the unborn child equal to the living being outside the womb. It is the, one of the first times where God says that baby inside that womb is to be protected just like that man that walks that ground. And if you do harm to that child right there, it is as, it's equivalent to doing harm to your neighbor who stands before you. Need I explain, elaborate on that? I think not. I think we all know. And then it goes on and says this, but if there is serious injury, you are to take a life for life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And you're like, man, vindictive, vindictive. That's not vindictive. That's very merciful. You know what he's saying? If they take an eye, you can't kill them. If they take a hand, you can't, you can't kill them. If they take a tooth, you can't kill them. If, if they burn you, you can't kill them. He's basically saying in this situation, the punishment cannot exceed the crime. Why is he saying that? Because the, the, in each and every one of us, there's this, there's, this, there's this sinful condition that it's not just enough to, to get justice. We want more than justice. We want more than justice. It's in us. We're vindictive. We, we want to rise. We want to punish someone. If they get us, hit us once, we hit them twice. You know, if you've got sons in your house, little boys and whatnot, they'll do the little frogger game. You know, his little brother come up to him and he'll, he'll frog. I know this because I had brothers I, and I had mean sisters. Right? They'll come up and they'll, they'll frog you, they'll hit you or whatever else. And your immediate response isn't to hit them back like they hit you. Your immediate response is, is that of a deterring value. You want to hit them and then hit them again, right? If they hit you like this, you want to hit them like that. I mean, I experienced that many times as a little kid. And God knew this was in play. God knew the hearts of people. And God would say, no, 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 no. This thing has got to be tit for tat. You, you can't go overboard. We have to be a merciful people. Mm. Now, let me, and we're going to finish this up. Let me just say this. Harm without intent. You and I, and the scripture just demonstrated that even though the intent wasn't there, there's still culpability. You and I are culpable whether our intent to wound someone or hurt someone was at play or not. Do you understand what I'm talking about? When we lash out in anger and frustration, in our insecurities, we must own the repercussions and there will be some. There are times, and, and, and I referenced it earlier, and it's kind of a ridiculous notion, but there are, there are those moments when we'll want to blame someone else for our actions. You know what I'm talking about? They made me lose my religion. You've heard that. There's nothing dumber I've ever heard. They made me lose my religion. As though what they did controlled you. And you surrendered the control of yourself to them. 
It doesn't matter whether you intended to administer harm or not. If you administered harm, you're culpable and you need to rectify it. There, there's times that I'll hear people, Miss Kathy, say stuff like this. They'll say, knowing that they hurt someone, if I hurt you, I'm sorry. You ever heard that? If The hurt's already been recognized, so there, there's no longer this if thing. The reality is you have, whether you intended to or not. And the, the other thing about that, the intention of hurting without intent, is that people will say, well, well I feel okay about it. I didn't do anything wrong. Whatever I did, yeah, they may be hurt and whatnot, but my conscience is clear. As though our conscience can be the guiding element in how we live our lives. When the scripture clearly states that the heart of man is deceitful above everything and cannot be trusted. The apostle Paul goes, goes so far as to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Because why? My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. So it doesn't matter if I can sleep at night even though I've hurt you because my intention wasn't to hurt you. That doesn't. My conscience isn't the guiding force in my life. It must always be God's word. So if I violate God's word, whether I can sleep at night or not, Jeremiah, I need to make that right. So let's close right here. It says, if a bull gores a man or a woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death. <laughs> and its meat must not be eaten. Ah! But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. This is basically an accident. And accidents happen, right? And God is establishing a, a, a system within his society to, to deal with accidents. If, however, the bull has had, has had the habit of goring, and the owner has been warned but has not kept it pinned up. And it kills a man or woman. The bull is to be stoned and its owner also is to be put to death. What is this? Basically negligent homicide. When you know that this is a possibility and you what? You do not value the other person enough to act upon it. And you're willing to subject them to danger and to harm. God says unacceptable. Unacceptable. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. Restitution. This law also applies if the bull gores a son or daughter, if the bull gores a male or female slave. The owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull is to be stoned to death. Let me stop right and just say this. 30 shekels of silver for a pierced slave. That's what Judas got for Jesus. Jesus' value was that of just a pierced slave. He says, if anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had, had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it pinned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. 
this is harm out of negligence. We've already talked about premeditated harm. We've talked about harm without intent. This is, this is a harm out of just negligence. And I think this is the thing that's at work most of the time in our lives. When there's a spirit of apathy where we just don't care and we're negligent and we subject people to harm. As a matter of fact, Leviticus says this. You shall not curse a person who is deaf. Listen to this. Nor put a stumbling block before a person who is blind. But you shall revere your God, I am the Lord. You know what it's saying right there? It's basically saying, do not cause harm into the lives of people who do not have the ability to navigate the danger and are subject to the decisions that you have made and become a casualty. Jesus says this, and, and this is just a reality in our lives. The way we conduct our lives sometimes, the way we express ourselves, the way we live our lives out, man, we are basically removing the proverbial manhole cover. And everyone who's walking around us, man, are just falling into these holes and into these pits and into these snares. And the way we conduct ourselves are traps. And the way that we live our lives create traps for other people. And the scripture is saying there's a culpability to that. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 9. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. There's culpability when we premeditate harm, when we don't premeditate, and when we're just negligent. God is saying within his society, man, there's accountability. And God says within the body of Christ, there is accountability for each and every one of us. Accountability. I would challenge you this week, to ask God to open your eyes to see how you're managing the well-being of other people. Whether or not you're the individual inflicting pain. Whether or not you're the individual, whether intentional or unintentional, afflicting pain. Whether you're the individual whose life is setting snares for other people. Jay, I would hate to think at the end of my run, that God would say to me, Trent, there's all kinds of casualties around you. Things you were doing neglectful, not honoring my word, not living life like you should have been living it, not conducting yourself, not honoring me in a way. There's victims all around you. Collateral damage all around you. Pitfalls and snares, manholes left uncovered. Scorched earth behind you. And you didn't even care enough. You didn't even care enough to assess it. I don't want that for me, man. I definitely don't want that for you. Stand with me this morning.
Father, in Jesus' name, we look at your word. We see the system in which you establish for your people to protect them, to deter evil, and to promote godliness and life. And it's an honorable thing, Lord. And we want to take the principles and we want to understand them in our own hearts and our own minds. And we want to go out there with, I don't want to hurt people, Lord. I don't want to be that, I don't want to be an agent of pain. Open my eyes and my ears, oh God. May I not be a person who withholds. May I not be the person who doesn't care. May I not be the person who just leaves scorched earth behind me. But instead, Father, may I, may we all be agents of mercy, agents of grace. that represents you in a manner that is honorable and biblical. May we see the value of one another. And not diminish that value, but instead may we contribute to it in the name of Jesus. So Father, we bless you, we bless your word, and we thank you for it. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said, Amen. 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 God bless you.